Welcome to Still Dead from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and regular hands Christian Tarantino, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher Dr. Kelly Jones, and the prisoner is ready for my swift and cruel punishment. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Two Angel Watchers, Season 2, Episode 21, Through the Looking Glass, and Episode 22, There's No Place Like Plurtsglurb, which is also the Season 2 finale. Numfar, do the dance of joy, and let's raise the stakes. In Through the Looking Glass, Angel, Gunn, and Wesley are brought to the newly crowned Princess Cordelia as prisoners. After she jokes about cutting off their heads, she explains that she was made ruler because of a prophecy connected to her visions. But there's a catch. She has to mate with the Grusalug in a ceremony called the Kamshuk. The evil priests block Cordy's escape, but the Grusalug turns out to be a kind-hearted half-human warrior, and Cordy starts to warm up to the idea of Kamshuking with him. Angel and Lauren go to Lauren's family, where Lauren is scorned, but Angel is heralded as a hero. Lauren's cousin bestows the honor of swinging the Krebel on Angel, but it turns out that's actually Pilea party speak for beheading a runaway human slave, in this case, Fred. Angel fights to protect Fred with Lauren's musical help, and Fred takes Angel to her cave. When they're attacked, Angel vamps out and discovers that in this world where he can walk in the sun, his vampire side is more than teeth. He turns into a true feral demon. Meanwhile, Cordy stands up to the priest and threatens to start making proclamations. To teach her a lesson, the priests behead Lorne and bring his head to her on a silver platter. Looking Glass aired on May 15th, 2001. It was written and directed by Tim Minear. All right, Dr. Jones. So on the perfect happiness scale, which of course goes completely arbitrarily from zero at stake this to six at lost your soul, where are you with Through the Looking Glass? So I gave this a four. Okay. I love Angel and Fred in this episode so, so much. Mm -hmm. But there is something about this episode that either drags or distracts and so I subtracted points, and narratively, I'm not sure what the issue is, but most of the Cordy as a princess and the time with Lauren's family and just some of the campiness takes mm -hmm. away from my other enjoyment. But it might be like reactive trauma because the first time I saw this episode and it ended with Lauren's head on a plate, <laughs> I, I thought he was really dead. And I was devastated, just devastated. Of course you were. Yes, we're going to talk about all of that. And yeah, there are narrative problems with all of these episodes. We, we're going to definitely get into that. Um, mm -hmm. I gave this episode a three. I didn't mm -hmm. quite enjoy it. I, I mean, there's a lot of things I like, and then there, it gets subtracted by the things that just aren't working. Um, Angel and Fred loved all of that. I thought that that mm -hmm. was fantastic. Um, I love that here we are with Angel getting everything he wants. He can be in the sun. He can see his reflection. He can play with his hair. You you know, but it comes at a high price, you know, like when you get what you want and you have that price that it comes with, it's really great. And forcing him to face the monster within and he can see the reflection of the monster. I mm -hmm. mean, that's all really, really great. Um, I love Wesley and Gunn together. Always, always, always the buddy copness of the two of them is fantastic. But overall, we have a lot of tonal inconsistencies within all of Pylea and it ends up kind of these parts of this, this episode 
episode kind of work against each other. Um, I also hate what they do to Cordelia, which is something mm-hmm. that unfortunately we're going to be seeing a lot of. Uh, Cordelia's character becomes uh, really inconsistent. Um, and we've got a lot of tonal inconsistency in Pylea. So while there's a lot to love, there's also a lot that's just kind of hot. And yeah. so, yeah, so yeah. I, I'm giving yeah. it a three. It's it's good, but not great. Mm-hmm. All right. So moments of perfect happiness. What do you have for me? So I am starting with Angel and Fred because, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Yes. They were so fantastic. Yes. And Angel in the sunlight and seeing his reflection in the mirror. And there's that one moment where he sees his, ref- his reflection in the water in Fred's cave and he mm-hmm. just smiles. Yeah. Oh, it's so sweet. And Angel is storyteller when he's, you know, telling right. stories of his heroic deeds to those kids. <laughs> I chopped off the evil lawyer beast hand and he screamed and he screamed and then I left. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. And and Lauren, you know, really kind of watching Angel and saying, well, it's nice to be the hero without all the pesky little moral ambiguities you get back home, isn't mm-hmm. it? And, and Angel's like, yeah, you know what? It really is. Yeah. So <laughs> I like that we get a little while of Angel in his happy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fred's cave, like seeing how ingenious this woman is how Mm -hmm. smart she is how capable she is i loved that and i love that they showed us those things without erasing her trauma yeah that was one of the things i really liked about this is Mm -hmm. that um you know fred's been through all this stuff and we see what she's been through and it's funny because you compare that to cordelia and mm-hmm. how we completely erase her trauma with a, you know, a gold bikini and some grapes, you know? Yeah. It is. It is crazy. But I love the way that they give Fred's trauma space, you know, mm-hmm. and she compartmentalizes everything before into a dream, yeah. you know, and then yep. just is living within the now because that's all she can do. And Amy Acker is so fantastic in that role. I oh, love God, her. yes. She's mm-hmm. amazing. And mm-hmm. But even with that, even in the middle of that trauma and everything mm-hmm. that's happening to her and almost being beheaded, she still has enough awareness and care for other people. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want anything bad to happen to Angel. She tells him about Cordelia. She's aware that Cordelia is in danger. Mm-hmm. So she's still able to show how caring and empathetic a person she is yeah Mm -hmm. which i just thought was fantastic although she did have this one line that cracks me up every (laughs) damn time when angel she tells angel about cordelia and he says oh no she's fine they made her a princess and (laughs) fred said well that's nice for her right and (laughs) do that with me Right. That didn't and happen with me. I've been here for five <laughs> years and nobody made me a damn princess yet. Right? I loved that moment. So I was wondering, is that the Texas version of, well, bless her heart? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe. I think maybe. <laughs> yeah. So it just cracks me up. Mm-hmm. But, but Fred knowing how to call Angel when he was in demon mm-hmm. form, you know, covering her hand with blood, getting him to follow her. And not being afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this woman is a badass. And yeah. I just really, really appreciated her and cared about her character so much and found her so believable so quickly mm-hmm. that I'm really glad we have Fred now. Yeah. No, I mean, they do a 
wonderful job of characterizing Fred right from mm-hmm. jump, you know? Um, even, you know, in the earlier episodes that we talked about last week, she's there, she's trying to help Cordelia, she's risking her own safety, and did risk her own safety. She almost got her head cut off, you know? Yeah. Because she was trying to help Cordelia. Um, and uh, and I just, I love all of it. I love her cave. I love her broken glasses. I love mm-hmm. her. She has incredible amount of vulnerability while still being strong. Mm-hmm. Like the kind of strength that it takes to survive the way that she has, you know, all these years. Um, it's just fantastic. And that they did all of that without erasing her trauma. You yeah. know, we see how, like what she's had to do to her own sense of reality in mm-hmm. order to be able to just survive every day. And uh, it's fantastic. And Amy Acker, again, I love her. She's a wonderful actress. She's perfect for this role. I absolutely love her. I love it too. And I mm-hmm. love how, while they also don't erase her trauma, they don't erase her intelligence and the Mm -hmm. academic training that she's had Mm -hmm. because we have moments where she falls so easily into the theory the physics you know the fact that those the books are mathematical formulas and equations she understands how the portals work and you can hear her slip into that mode and then come back to like this fractured traumatic you know self that Mm -hmm. that she is in Pali and I that woman starts speaking theory yeah. And it delights me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved all of this too with Fred and Angel. I love Angel's torment at mm-hmm. turning into something so monstrous, you know, um, being so happy with so much of what's going on in that place and then realizing that there is a dark side to it. It is his dark side, you know, and his yeah. dark side gets even darker, that there's always a price to pay, you know, for everything, um, which I think is so great. And it, and his shame at having been seen you Mm -hmm. know like here he is he's finally able to see himself right but he has so much shame at other people seeing him yeah and I I loved it I do too and and it was really funny I had a lot of moments of perfect happiness with all the other guys too yeah Mm -hmm. so Wes and Gunn and Lauren and even grew who Mm -hmm. we'll get to but I had to start with the trionic books of course because (laughs) oh my Good. Mm-hmm. They were so fantastic. The whole concept just delighted me to no end. Mm-hmm. I love Gunn saying, oh, they're probably just a bunch of demon bedtime stories. Right. <laughs> and, but Wesley instantly figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, the rhythm of the sentence structure tells one when to jump from book to book to book. And I'm like, Wesley, baby, I am right there with you. It's- that is freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love his delight. You know, yeah. like here he is in this in this crazy situation. But figuring out this puzzle is delightful for him. Yeah. You know, yeah. putting it all together. And then when he puts the wolf, ram and heart. You know, yes. and he makes that connection. He's like, oh, this is not good. You know? Right. It's and I really love great. that. I love mm-hmm. that Wolfram and Hart have, first of all, that they're three entities mm-hmm. and we see where the name of the firm comes from, mm-hmm. but that they have interdimensional reach. Like, yeah. this could be a much bigger, big bad than we mm-hmm. thought they were. And I just love, I love all yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. I loved Lorne helping Angel help Fred escape when he started singing and yes. he just naturally turned that beheading platform into a stage Mm -hmm. yeah i loved it and (laughs) gun and wesley instantly standing back to back when they sensed you know demon angel Mm -hmm. coming at them i love that moment between them it's so fantastic i love gun and wesley oh Mm -hmm. i know but i am a shallow shallow woman (laughs) and (laughs) 
there are so many moments of perfect happiness for me with the Grusalug. When he says the strange curve of my mouth and he gives her that smile. Mm-hmm. He has the most charming smile. I adore him and I love his eyes and he's so damn pretty and he's sweet and he's chivalrous and he has long hair and braids and a sword. And oh my God, I am just going to do the girly gush over Gru. I can't help it. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm really glad that you love him. He is not my favorite. <laughs> I will love him enough for both of us. Good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Gru, Gru is such a non-character. Like here's this guy. He's been forced to fight everything he's been told from the time he was born that there's something wrong with him that he is less than everybody else and he's just so glad he's just Mm -hmm. i tried to kill myself by fighting all these fights you know and it's like wait a minute if you wanted to die you wouldn't have won you know (laughs) like yeah so they so what they do with him is they um they characterize him in this extremely flat unbelievable way and he becomes something of a caricature of the you know of the romantic hero kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's just it's not good and he's not he's obviously clearly not smart (laughs) if he's that strong and able to fight all of these people he would be with the rebels like trying to fight back but instead he's just you know he's he accepts this line of like my disgusting the way my biceps bulge and the weird curve of my all this stuff is just so it's so weird and it's so I don't know it's I just don't like it I don't care for his characterization I mean he's a pretty guy I also don't care for the long hair I'm not a long hair girl (laughs) I much prefer bald to long hair (laughs) no actually I I will go both sides Mm -hmm. I like bald too yeah but I do like long hair on men but there's something about him like when he's in full on on, I just do what I'm told Mm -hmm. mode yeah I get impatient with it but he has these moments He's very Where sweet. He, seems, he is that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and he, like, he tells Cordelia, you know, if, if no one else thinks you're a princess, then you just declare it so. Yeah. And he mentions, you know, he talks about her being beautiful, but he also talks about her being merciful. Mm-hmm. He says, if you treat all of this, all of your subjects this way, you will do much good. And, like, he just seems to have a good heart. Yeah. No, he and, definitely does. You know, and that appeals to me, even though, yeah, I I don't like him just obeying without question even though i think he was kind of raised to obey without question right but But, if you're raised in oppression like there's a certain i mean okay if you're raised in oppression and as women i think we can both like speak to this right you are taught culturally a certain amount of self-loathing right that automatically gets in the system Mm -hmm. but you also resent it (laughs) oh yeah i don't know any women who are really happy about the self-loathing you know who are just happy to be there and be like yes i am but a woman and therefore (laughs) i mean you know and i will say like their internalized misogyny is a thing there are women who absolutely participate in upholding patriarchal structures uh Mm -hmm. mostly white women whatever go vote anyway um (laughs) but like there's there's the way it is it's it's one thing to accept your lot and say this is the way it is i do what i have to do to survive Mm -hmm. but it's another thing to so like to have a character who so like happily just embraces his impression his oppression has all this strength and power doesn't use it to get out of that situation like 
and it's not like resentful at all is not mm-hmm. pissed off is not angry is just like here I am and I have to sleep with the princess and like you know I don't know it's just it's so flat and unbelievable the way he's characterized for me is is just it just doesn't work it's not engaging for me I don't believe this character I guess it's hard for me to separate the two episodes because mm-hmm. we see more right. from him in the next He's one much better in the this second one, one. Mm-hmm. but I think maybe it's because I was raised in a cult that like when mm-hmm. I see him here I see brainwashed group uh-huh. mm-hmm. and like that's a thing yeah but yeah, yeah. I'm with you like I want yeah. to see I think he has potential and I want to see him reach that potential, Mm -hmm. but there is just something incredibly sweet about him. And I think that kind of sweetness, we lose it in characters Mm -hmm. on this show. Like Wesley used to have some of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and he's lost it for good reason. Yeah. And I just appreciate it when I see it. So. No, I think that that's a good, I think it's a good thing. And you know, like my problems with Gru, like anybody who loves Gru, that's fine love him there's lovable things about him i just didn't particularly care for that it felt too flat and also i think it contributes to the tonal inconsistency of this whole thing yes i think you're right about that yeah Yeah, so that so grew's a a bit of a problem for me but aside Mm -hmm. from that like i love wes and gun i love lorne i love lorne singing and using that as as power like here is you know angel being celebrated as a warrior right Mm -hmm. but lorne can take down everybody in that town center just with a few notes like Just Lauren has power with a I little help that. from Diana Ross <laughs> a little help from Diana Ross stop in the name of love baby that's right <laughs> and this wasn't one of the guy notes but I did love the fact now I don't like how the priest react because oh my god they behead Lauren I know but, right but I did really find it interesting that they they all get like panicked and furious when cordy asked for parchment right because there is nothing scarier than a literate woman no words are power communication is power and people don't like it when that power goes to somebody they don't want it to go to so yeah i mean the priests were like terror like okay the priests were horrible and hateful and i hated them but they Mm -hmm. were well done like oh yeah they they represented that kind of of power structure Mm -hmm. You know, and the kind of men that hold that kind of power, because you'll notice there was not a woman among those priests, right? Right. right. Um, you know, that that there these are the kinds of things that they do. Yeah. And know? they were really scary and really <laughs> and that and like you said, the tonal inconsistencies when so much of the rest of this was silly. Mm-hmm. They had some serious bad guys here. Yeah. And so the whole thing could have been darker and more well done and grittier and Yeah. I think that there was there was a lot of good in it and it just keeps it, it felt like we were going up and down. Yes. With absolutely. tone and it got on my nerves. <laughs> yeah, no, that it really is super inconsistent, you know. Yeah. And I mean like I get like the joke construction for the most part was okay, but in the grander scheme of the storytelling and especially when we've got these really deep things happening, you know, Angel mm-hmm. is seeing his true self, his true demon and facing that going feral you know attacking his friends like this is difficult this is really difficult stuff and the idea of this you know completely oppressed group of people you know that all the humans there are are oppressed and um, made into slaves and you know I mean all of this stuff like in the kind of life that like that's serious stuff and the way that these priests are you know I mean that's serious evil and then we have 
the jokes, you know, mm-hmm. which I think will probably, you know, transition us nicely into our the stake this portion of the program. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which I think really starts with Cordy. I mean, what is this nonsense in the beginning? They I mean, come in. What? Cordy's like, oh, yeah, this is fine. She messes with them off with their heads. Are you right? kidding me? All of these guys have swords at the ready. You don't make that kind of joke, you know? Yeah. Um, but not to mention, she's been alone in a foreign dimension. She's been enslaved and tortured. And, you know, a bikini and some grapes are not going to fix that. But when they come in, isn't she, isn't she happy to see them? Wasn't she yeah. worried she would never see the people she loves again? And then she says they jabbed me with hot pokers for a while. And then they made me a princess. And it's all fine. Like, she has been traumatized by being enslaved, by having her life threatened, wearing a collar that would blow her head off, you know, figuring she was stuck in this world while she had nobody to help her, mm-hmm. thinking she was never going to see her friends again. And then suddenly we have her, you know, made princess and we treat this Cordy. I mean, this Cordy is different from the Cordelia that we saw in Buffy. Like she has been through shit. She got the visions, you know, um, she almost died at the end of last season because all the visions, you know, hit her at once. She has, she's become dedicated to the cause. She's about helping the helpless. Like she is not a shallow woman. And Mm -hmm. yet, you know, we put her in this position where she's clearly in danger. I don't care that they made her the princess. She's clearly in danger. You know, she's just been traumatized and violated by these priests with hot pokers. And now it's fine. And she's joking around. Behead them. You know, what? what is yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, honey, that order could have been carried out before you could take it back. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. that was not funny. And plus, yeah. she she just seems to have forgotten about the other slaves that she saw. Yeah. And about Fred getting captured. And, mm-hmm. okay, and this was a tiny trivial thing. But where in the holy hell do they get makeup on Pilea? Right. Like, what? Why are they? Okay. When it comes right down to it, I mean, let's just, why are they speaking English on Pylea? How yeah. did all these humans get there? Like, there are so many questions about Pylea that, yeah. like, you just, how do, why do they speak English? I mean, Why does really? everybody speak American English? But it's English? like perfect royal makeup with diamond studded mm-hmm. eyeliner. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. I mean, come yeah. on. Like, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. And, and they just happen to have a gold bikini in her size. Of you know, course they did. It's a one and size fits all. Yeah. It is a one size fits all. Yeah. And the choker you know and the jewelry. that metal is. <laughs> it's like I lichen. like all my metal sequins to be stretchy. <laughs> I mean, God. Yeah. And and the whole like, now I, I do like Groove, but yeah. no one should be forced to come shuck against their will. And yeah. Cordy suddenly being fine with it because Groove is, you know pretty fun yeah like, it just seems shallow and wrong like uh-huh. even if she wants to come shuck with him and trust me i don't blame her she knows the world that she's in is evil and the priests are tangled up with wolfram and Hart, and there's a total lack of consent on her part yeah. and like mm-hmm. there has to be a reason that they want that mating ceremony and she doesn't even question the reason yeah and and like she doesn't even define her terms so clearly her operating definition of princess is very, very different than theirs. Right. And like, that is not like Cordelia to not She's have... smarter than that. Yeah. 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 It just, the whole thing drove me crazy. And mm-hmm. I was annoyed with myself for getting so annoyed with Cordelia because she's been through hell and mm-hmm. I understand why she would want to be a princess and why that would be so tempting. But 
I, I just was absolutely infuriated with it. And then I felt bad for being so, no. you know, impatient with Cordy. But I mean, come on. No, because you're not mad at Cordy. You're mad at the writers. Yes, that's Because true. this is the thing. This isn't Cordy. And this is something which is unfortunate, but we're going to see happen a lot. When they can sacrifice Cordelia's character for the joke or for a, a plot point, it's gone. Right. We're not yeah. going to write a consistent Cordelia. Cordelia is not stupid. Right. There's no way. Like I can see Cordelia being happy in the moment that they made her a princess because at the moment she's not being tortured with hot pokers. Great. Right. I get that. Right. But the idea that she's like, well, you know, yeah, you guys are in such a rush to go back to the world where I'm not a princess. Right. Are you kidding me? Right. Are you, there's no way she was going to trust these people. And especially when we have this moment, right? If you ever find a way to get us out of here, I want you to find me a dimension where some demon, where some demon doesn't want to impregnate me with its spawn, right? Here we have, once again, the violation of Cordelia Chase being put on the table because that's, you know, and here it's treated as funny, right? you know, and I'm like, oh my God, after what this woman has been through, you know, it, not just the trauma in Pylea, but the trauma of the last couple of years, she's been through the shit, you know, and here we have her just being like, oh, no, I'm a princess. So it is so incredibly stupid. And it is a violation of her character. There's nothing in this that is consistent with Cordelia. It's not even consistent with the Cordelia that we had in Buffy, who was, you know, a rich girl and privileged, had not been through the trauma that she's been through, did not have the empathy that Cordelia does now. The empathy that Cordelia has gotten has been earned through those visions, you know, mm -hmm. and through the work that she's been doing with these guys. But let's not forget, just a few weeks ago before Angel came back, right, she was working with Gunn and Wesley. They were helping the helpless they were doing what they could she was dedicated to that work you know like this is a woman who understands empathy who understands people in trouble i could see her saying i'm a princess i may have the power to help these people we can't leave until i've helped them that i would believe yes but this we can't leave because this is the world where i'm a princess mm -hmm. and how much fun is that sitting there on that what looked like a very uncomfortable throne you yeah, know, it looks a like a very uncomfortable throne. <laughs> it's crazy. And then being forced to calm shuck with a gruselug, which sounds really terrible. And just because he's pretty doesn't make being forced to do this thing any better. Right. You know, it's the context of it. So all of it together, you know, we've got we've got just just rape culture kind of woven through the threads in this, mm -hmm. you know, the fabric in this um, in this episode. As a joke, it's not funny. This is bad stuff. And I find it like, and again, this is the totally inconsistent stuff where there's so much great stuff happening in this episode that's really like got, got you know, emotional resonance. And then we sacrifice Cordelia to the joke gods for nothing. It doesn't do anything. Empathetic Cordelia wanting to save people, wanting to stay until people are saved. Yeah, I see that, you know, mm -hmm. but yep. this, no. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. And and like an angel does some of that to some extent, too. And I think it's interesting that it's Angel and Cordy. Yeah. Who are not asking questions in the face of finding what they want. Yeah. When Landoc tells Angel, you shall swing the Kreble. And Angel's just like, OK. Yeah. W without even asking what the hell that is. Right. You know, and, and then like there's apparently the ceremony. And mm -hmm. do they do that ceremony every time? A runaway mm -hmm. slave is captured. Do they eat humans? Mm -hmm. Why don't they just put a new collar on Fred? Like the whole thing makes no sense. Mm -hmm. 
And so all this real drama, you know, Angel's demon self and Fred's trauma and Wes and Gunn risking everything to help Cordy, it feels like it all gets undermined in like the camp and crassness of the princess debacle and Lauren's mom and just general silliness and very smart people not asking questions. Yeah. When they are literally in a new world, it, it, it just makes no sense to me. And in a world which Lauren has warned them about. Right. <laughs> like, Lauren has said, this is not great. This is not okay. You know, there's bad stuff here. Um, so all of it, yeah, doesn't, it doesn't really sit with me. You know, and if mm -hmm. you had brought like a bunch of humans to a world that enslaves humans, you know, as Lauren, wouldn't you be like, hey, heads up right yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah like it's dangerous for you guys to be here stick together right quiet let me go and you know check things out or whatever but you know you brought up lauren's mother and just for a minute i just want to throw out a little something about the the heteronormativity of angel mm -hmm. is kind of a problem and it's not even hetero it's like cis normativity it's like everything um lauren's mother is being played by a man right Right. She has a beard. She's obviously very masculine. And that in itself is a joke. Um, we do see that there's, I, you know, like there is a woman in the background who is clearly a woman, you know, um, who is who is part of this, uh, you know, the, the Death Walk clan or whatever. So we see that, you know, that women are feminine in this world. It's not like all of the women, all the men are men and all the women are men, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but what it does by making this joke is it, it really sends this this idea that gender fluidity is inherently mockable. You know, right. that that's that's funny because, oh, look, she's a man. You know, she's masculine. She's manly. But she's supposed to be a girl. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing, you know. And I get that they're joking specifically about Lauren's mother. Um, but this, along with this kind of firmly held heteronormativity in the angel, you know, universe, um, sets a tone that isn't really great. Like, in stories, the specific runs to the general. If you do things enough... It it ends up saying that in general, this is what we believe about this. So mm -hmm. when you do something once, you get to claim specifics, you know, um, this is a specific joke about Lauren's mother, you know, and that's it. Right. But when you've got raindrop after raindrop after raindrop, which you do in Angel, reinforcing cis, you know, normativity, reinforcing heteronormativity, um, you know, not making a space even even for Lorne to have any kind of defined sexuality. He does have some, you know, feminine traits and some masculine traits, but we never really, you know, get a sense of, of what he is or, you know, how he lives his life or whatever. And not that that's a big deal but it's like with the only representation for that kind of you know of non um what is the word I'm looking for? It's not, but it's the way that we've normalized very specific ways of living that, that when we have Lorne and he is so specifically other, because not only does he kind of in this middle space between masculine and feminine, feminine, but he's also demon, you know? So we have right. all of these things with Lauren and you got raindrop after raindrop after raindrop after raindrop. And once you've got all those raindrops on the fabric, then the specific colors bleed into the general. And it feels like you're making a statement about about this idea that anybody who doesn't conform to the standards of, of gender, the way that we culturally have laid them out, you know, mm -hmm. this this binary setting, um, then that is funny and mockable. And and it just to me, it it just 
hit me the wrong way. I did not care for it. Also, like, and you know how I am. Like, if it's tasteless and bad, fine. If it's still funny, I'll at least give you that. <laughs> like, if the joke is good, I'll give you that. But if the only joke is, uh, look, his mother's masculine, that's not funny. That's just right. not, like, so what? It doesn't. So, I don't know. That bugged me. Did that Did that bother you? Oh, yeah. It's okay. everything about Lauren's mother bother, mm-hmm. bothers me. Mm-hmm. Everything. <laughs> everything so yeah absolutely and even down to the heteronormativity of the gross lug being male yeah mm-hmm. like if they had brought in a super hot badass female half demon warrior mm-hmm. i might have come up out of my chair cheering <laughs> yes <laughs> especially if cordelia had been into it i would have been like yes! all right all like, right, all right. you know let's go but of course the assumption is just that that's yeah. gonna be you know and and like what if the cursed one had been male? Like, right. it's it's just this constant assumption that runs all the way through the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it, it just, it absolutely bothers me. Yeah, I just, I just think it's a, and it's something that, like, these, this is the thing that happens with implicit messaging. Like, I don't think this was a deliberate thing that everybody in Angel was like, we are here to stomp down anything that isn't, you know, <laughs> hetero, straight, white, male, able-bodied, all this kind of right. stuff, right? That's not at all the intention, but it is something that is in the culture and you pick it up from the culture. And of course, like the the concept of terroir, like what is in the ground gets in the grapes, gets in the wine. Um, Mm -hmm. That's what happens with your stories, too. And so, you know, you kind of need to look at it and sort of tease all that stuff out um, so that those that implicit messaging, which is this subliminal subtextual messaging, which is really the most powerful, um, can be seen and rejected. And then once you do that, you can move on and enjoy the things about whatever it is you're engaging with is, that are good. Right. Um, but this is one of those things that just uh, that just bugged me. And again, if the joke was good, even if it was tasteless and wrong, mm-hmm. I'd at least appreciate the joke. Yeah. Yeah, but if no. It's not the funny only and it's the only jokes yeah. that get me with Lauren's family is mm-hmm. "Numfar, do the dance of joy." Yeah, "Numfar, do the dance of shame." Like I say that all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do love that. It delights me. It always. is, and that's Joss Whedon. I know Joss Whedon is Numfar. <laughs> that might be one the of dance. the reasons I love it so much. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, if something makes me happy, I'll say "Numfar, do the dance of joy." Do the dance of joy. And my yeah. son looks at me like, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Dr. Jones, what do you got for us in research mode? Oh, my God. Okay. So, seeing the demon in its purest form, an mm-hmm. angel seeing that reflection in the water, too, right? Mm-hmm. And he and he tries to fight it when he first sees it mm-hmm. before he's overcome with pain, and that turns him back into his human self. His reaction, curled in the fetal position and shaking and crying, yeah. just broke my heart. And he, he tells Fred... They saw it. They looked right at it. The monster. They see what I really am. I can't go back now. Yeah. And all I could think was those who really love us, love us ugly. Right. But Angel can't love that part of himself. He can't accept that part of himself. He's constantly fighting that part of himself. Yep. So, yeah. So I think that he doesn't feel fully loved he doesn't feel like how can they fully love him he's a monster you know hell cordelia saw him as angelus which is about as bad as angel gets you know right um but they still love him and you know but but from his perspective like Mm -hmm. i can see feeling unlovable yeah you know me too but i just i think it was such a great visual representation of what he's been fighting against yeah that it was so well done Mm -hmm. um but then 
I, I just want to see, like, does Angel realize that? Like, does he yeah. understand that that is what he's fighting against and that the people who love him love him ugly? Like, they yeah. really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have this idea of wish fulfillment that just delights me. Mm-hmm. You know, Angel wants to be a celebrated warrior standing in the sun. Cordy wants to be a princess. They both get what they want, but it doesn't go well for either of them. And we will see this again mm-hmm. the further along we get in Angel. But we've also seen it before, right? Angel wishing he could be human and be with Buffy. Well, that didn't end so well. Yeah. Lindsay wishing for his hand back. Right. Hello, evil hand. Got all these evil hand issues. <laughs> Angel wishing to disappear into despair with Darla, right? right? Mm -hmm. So if this is a show about choices, which at the end of season two, I still believe it is. Yeah. What is the role of wishes? Mm -hmm. And do our desires and the right choice always have to be in conflict? Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that in this show they are, you know, and, yeah. and that's obviously a recipe for great fiction anyway, is to have that internal conflict that what you want isn't what you should have. And it, it'll always end up being, you know, a monkey's paw, you know, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but that really is that really is a, a great way to to phrase that. And I'm, I'm I'm interested in seeing how that plays out throughout the rest of the run of Angel. Yeah, because, because I think we do pop around thematically a bit. Angel is not it's it's a good ride, but it's not a smooth ride. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And and I think the reason that it strikes such a melancholy chord in me is because mm-hmm. I don't want that to be true. Right. But if that is the operating thesis of the show, there's no way anyone's getting a happy ending here. Yeah. No one's getting out of here alive. Right. Like, <laughs> really? And, right. and so knowing that about the show just sort of makes me watch it with a darker appreciation mm-hmm. because it comes back to what you pointed out about Angel's mission statement yeah. that if nothing matters all that matters is what we do yeah because you're never going to have what you want like you're never actually going to be happy right so then you might as well make the hard choice and do something good while you're here and the romantic in me does not want the world to work that way right mm-hmm. but i can appreciate it if the world does work that way on the show yeah i mean philosophically i think that's where angel's coming from you know, yeah. and it's always going to be in a dark place. And, you know, and it's a Joss Whedon show. Just for that, nobody's ever going to be happy. Like, you can't right. have people no can way. be happy for exactly 12 minutes, and that's it. Yeah. You get a third <laughs> of an episode, enjoy your just happiness. Just long enough while to devastate us. Exactly. <laughs> just long enough to devastate us, and then that's fine. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, and honestly, in fiction, um, again, like, you know, you don't want stories about happy people. <laughs> because mm-hmm. like if they're happy then whatever you're done it's not interesting you want people who are struggling because those are the things that that we you know identify with from the times in our lives when we struggle you yeah. know we want inspiration when we're happy we know how to handle things it's fine right? right you know like we got it under control but we need that inspiration and that and that sense of not being alone from the struggle that fictional characters go through and it also helps us work through our own issues you know you watch angel looking at this monster face in the in the reflection in the water and i think anybody who struggled with feeling uh, with a sense of unlovability 
you know, mm-hmm. which most of us have, I think, at one point or another. Um, you know, you see him struggle with that. And you see the way that Fred, who's just met him, you know, shows him love and caring the way, you know, his family loves him. And yeah. um, and it kind of gives you an external space from which to deal with our own struggles with unlovability, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of stuff that you go to fiction for. It, it, it can be hugely cathartic and it can help you work through your own trauma, you know, which is yeah. why when trauma is erased, it's like, OK, well, that's a missed opportunity there. And especially because right. it's usually women's trauma that's erased, whatever. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, but I think that like in in fiction, that's generally like where your strongest stories come from, from that sense of that conflict between, you know, are you ever going to be happy? Is that ever even going to be an option? And maybe it's not. So mm-hmm. if it's not, what do you do? You know, you right. just do the best you can. You just be the best person you can be. Yeah. Which makes me kind of sad because I yeah. want them to be happy. I know. At the end. But I, I don't think I'm going to get it from this show. No, I don't think you're going to get it from, from yeah, any any Whedon property. I don't think you're ever going to get that. There's no happily nope. ever after. <laughs> And one of the things that I thought was really interesting, um, you know, when Lauren is talking to Angel and Angel's all excited, he's being hailed as a hero. He's telling the tales to the kids, you know, Um, and Lauren has this philosophy of you become what others see in you. You Mm -hmm. know, he's like, I I get that you like it here. You're having a great time. You're the big hero. You become what others see. He's like, but remember how people see me here, (laughs) like for Lauren, it's miserable, you know? And so I'm wondering if, like for Lorne, is he afraid that he is going to become what they see him, how they see him, that it is going to externally put a pressure on him that transforms him into what they see? And what does that say about the role of narrative in shaping reality? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so I think that was kind of neat. It is kind of neat. I, I think Lorne has gotten past that point now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he doesn't want to be reminded of how they see him. Yeah. Because it opens up so many old wounds for him. Mm-hmm. But I think he understands the danger of the narrative, both of the stories we tell ourselves and the stories yeah. that others tell us about us. Uh huh. Because he is so empathetic, because he does mm-hmm. see so much of people's yeah. stories. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was definitely a true point and it and it mirrors back right to angel not believing that he can be lovable once they have seen the demon inside him right Mm -hmm. yeah i love it so i have two story questions for you okay okay so we get this line from fred Mm -hmm. she says handsome man saved me from the monsters Mm -hmm. so is this a new world wizard of oz story or a fairy tale story and does that even matter oh interesting um I think it's a little bit of a fairy tale story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't see an Oz analog aside from the fact that we're using Oz. Oz is a strange place and we're using Oz as kind of a, um, you know, as as a, a inspiration for the titles of the episodes. Yeah. Well, um, except this like, one, which was actually Alice in Wonderland. But yes, yeah, you right, know what exactly. I mean. New World, whatever. Yeah. Mixing metaphors here, people. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's there. there's no clarity on exactly what it is that they're referencing. It is really weird. Um, but I think that, you know, it's actually... 
it's this idea of the you know the the prince who comes in and rescues the princess you know Mm -hmm. but in reality fred has been rescuing herself all this time and had angel not been there you know she might have figured something out although i don't know in that moment uh when she's about to get beheaded that was probably a pretty dire situation yeah (laughs) um but uh but you know she she ends up getting rescued you know, by this guy who has all this monster in him, you know, and mm-hmm. she is not nearly the helpless damsel that she maybe feels she is, you know, mm-hmm. and that she presents herself as. Um, so I think it is like a twist on the the fairy tale in that, you know, he saves her in this one instance, but she's been saving herself for five years. Like she is absolutely capable of doing that. Um, but we do kind of put her in this role of the damsel, you know, when it comes to Angel. And yeah. that does have kind of a, a very fairy tale feel to it. No, but I love your take on, and even in that one instance, that it wasn't just a handsome man who saved her from the monsters. Mm-hmm. This apart monster who saved her. Like, yeah. I love that. You are so freaking smart. You have no <laughs> idea how you light up my brain sometimes. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so second question. Yes. I hate this ending with Lauren's head on that damn platter. I will never forgive them for that. Yeah. But is this a cliffhanger or a game changer? Oh, it's cliffhanger. Total cliffhanger, right? Because we don't know what's happened, right? We think he's dead. So it's a cliffhanger um, also combined with a misdirect, you know, which is Uh, where we're lying to the audience, which is absolutely not my favorite. You know, That was just cruel. It was just cruel. (laughs) No, it is. It's, you know, if they had ended it with him talking to her and her being like, oh, my God, you know, then right. in that moment, we know what's happened and we know what we have to deal with. That's more of a game changer. Although okay. in, in all honesty, it's not really a game changer either because it's not it doesn't change the world that we're in. It just gives us it just presents a new problem. Right. Um, but, you know, we have Lauren being beheaded, you know, and we think he's dead and, and all of this. I mean, that's you know, that's terrible. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just the shock value. It's just it's a cheap move for shock value so that we can end on a big note, you know, um, and I don't care for it. No, I, didn't I don't either. care for the Lauren's head thing the whole Mm-mm. way through. No, me um, neither. Yeah. No. Nope. And when she keeps banging his head against the wall. Yeah. I mean, the guy's head goes in a bucket and a <laughs> right. back. Oh, no, That's I don't like any of it. Episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Sorry. I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't care for it either. We'll talk about how much we don't care for it in the next episode. Um, but one of the things that I had in our research questions is this idea of the powers that be. Like, it's also mm. one thing, mm. like, everybody's speaking English, which is weird for mm-hmm. an entirely different culture, especially an entirely different culture that has no vowels in its actual written language. So whatever. Um But the powers that be are a presence in this world. So the powers that be are cross-dimensional. Um, yeah yeah so that yeah. seems a little bit a little weird well wolfram and apparently and so is wolfram out. and hart yeah because yeah. yeah. the books are there and cordy's vision is still there mm-hmm. and i really like that like that yeah. is intriguing as hell it is intriguing it's interesting Except i want to know how many other worlds yeah like, is it just earth and Hylia? Are there other dimensions? Right. And who's who's on the goods? Like, you know, we've got the powers that be there. We've got Wolfram and Hart there. So this war is being waged across dimensions, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And I find that really interesting. You know, so and who, who's the, the angel analog in Pylea? 
You know, like yeah. who who's getting the visions there? Who's, you know, fighting to help the helpless there? Like, right. you know, I would have liked to have seen an analog. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, even in the like, you know, well, we'll get this to this in the next episode, but I, w- I really would have liked to have seen some kind of, you know, help the helpless analog, you know, over in Pylea that the powers that be were working with or something. But Yeah, 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 that would have been really cool. Yeah. If both sides were looking out for somebody to arrive with visions. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very I don't interesting. Know. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Um. The other thing in here that I kind of feel like was not really handled well, and we'll also talk about this a little bit in the next episode, or when we talk about the next episode, um, is this racism analog, you know, Mm -hmm. with slavery based on being human, you know, they're all called cows. Um, And the cow status, like, maps fairly accurately to, you know, misogyny, white supremacy, other forms of toxic power bias. Um, But I find it really underwhelming in its presentation. I mean, I get what they're doing. You know, it makes the priests super evil because they're doing what people with power do all the time in America. Um, And even though they are painted red, these are clearly white men, you Mm -hmm. know, so I mean, we're used to seeing white men do this kind of shit. Um, But aside from setting up an interesting power dynamic with a lot of different sides to it with a lot of moving parts, you know, um, we've got the enslaved humans, then we've got the rebel humans, and we've got our heroes. And our heroes are flipping from powered, um, you know, from uh, like powered to disempowered. We have Angel Mm -hmm. starting out being celebrated. We have Cordy as a princess. Um, And then they go to disempowered angels and hiding with Fred because he's seen what he is. Um, He's making himself into an outcast. Uh, Cordy is being taught a lesson by the priest by being brought, you know, Lauren's head. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like it's just a backdrop, like all of this interesting kind of power dynamics that they've got going on as a backdrop to the adventure rather than a genuine investigation of how these things happen, why they're bad and how they get resolved, you know, yeah. uh, which of course is something that, you know, we've had 400 years of, of horrible since the day that white men stepped on this continent, we have had horrible racism going on and we have not, you know, given it up anytime soon, you know? So obviously resolving that in a 45 minute episode is a bit big of, of, mm-hmm. of an ask, but to even have it addressed in a way that shows respect for what those issues really are and what they do to people, you know? And then, you know, um, we've got all of these humans there, right? Um, they're all pretty young. They're all American. You know, uh, portals must have been a poppin' all around Los Angeles, I'm guessing. Who knows? There maybe, maybe there was one in Detroit. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Is it like the Hellmouth where they've right. also got one somewhere in Ohio? <laughs> right. You know, but it seems to be like only men of a certain age that we see in this rebel camp, right? Which would make you think that there must be like a human community around there somewhere with women and children and some sort of sustaining lifestyle. And how did Fred not find those people? Yeah. Like there must be something unless all of these people just happen to pop over from somewhere in America. Um, And also, I think it's interesting that they're all white. Like. You know, are we saying something about like showing whiteness on the side of the disempowered, you know, which is an interesting flip of that? Um, Or is it just that it didn't occur to anyone to bring some diversity into the only representation of humanity on this world? Right. Yeah. Um, So I I kind of fear it's number two, because Mm -hmm. I think that setting all of this up, they set it up. They don't really address it adequately. 
and then they don't land it. They don't right. stick the landing. So, um, so all of that together is, is just kind of off for me. Like I appreciate some of it and I think they did a good job with some of it. I think that the mm-hmm. priests are really an accurate, you know, map for the kind of, of people that do the kind of powered people that do this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it just, it didn't, it didn't feel complete to me. No. And also now that you say all this, it's also bugging me that when Angel and company left, they left all those people. Yeah. They didn't say anything about opening additional portals or bringing any of them back. They brought back Fred, but the yeah. rest of the well, people I mean, are Cordy just forgotten. has her decree. She leaves Gru in charge and they go through the whole reconstruction. Yeah, but, but still. Yeah, if any of those people belonged, you know, it were originally like if they were born there, you know, humans came from somewhere. Like, I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense. I have no yeah. idea. What is their history? How did they get there? Where is their community? You know, mm-hmm. like it just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. And we don't look at, we don't ask these questions. We set up this really heavy, dramatic weight and we don't ask these questions because we genuinely don't care. We don't care about these people. Well, apparently Palaya is a place where no one asks any questions. Yeah, no. So I would last there about 35 seconds. All of your critical thinking abilities are just, (laughs) once you go through the portal, that's it. No more critical thought for you. Yeah, That's why the book wouldn't come with them. Right. The book is like, I'm not going in there. I'm not going. I'm not going there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kelly, you got something for us to brood on? Yes. So Through the Looking Glass was the third of the four Palia stories. We learn about Fred and see how resourceful, brave, and traumatized she is. We get a glimpse of Wolfram and Hart's influence beyond L.A., it's an interdimensional law firm we see the demon that lives inside angel along with his devastated horrified reaction to seeing it himself and we meet the grusalug this episode ends with the evil priest bringing lauren's head to cordy to show her who's in charge and we immediately need to start the next episode so we can feel the relief of knowing that our beloved host is still mostly alive all right well let's get to it and talk about there's no place like flirt slurp In There's No Place Like Plurt's Glurb, we pick up with Cordy crying over Lauren's decapitated head, and then when he starts talking, she screams. She has to get Lauren to his mutilated body in order to restore him to life. Meanwhile, Wes and Gunn are about to be decapitated as well by the rebel human troop, but the castle guards attack first. They fight alongside the rebels and are released from bondage and hailed as heroes. Fred takes care of Angel, but when they are attacked, Angel finds out that Lauren is dead and he leaves to go help what's left of his friends. As the priests decide to push the mating ritual between Cordy and the Grusalog forward so they can consolidate their power, Angel challenges Gru to mortal combat while the rebels attack and take over the castle. The head priest, Silas, grabs Cordy and tries to activate the ritual anyway, and when he turns his back on her to face Wes and Gunn, she beheads him with a sword. Angel turns into the beast to fight Gru, but then turns back, and Cordy rushes out to stop the fight, saying she loves Gru. Cordy leaves Gru in charge of the kingdom and decrees an end to slavery, which he'll have to oversee. They return to L.A. with Fred and come back to the hotel to find Willow waiting for them with bad news about Buffy. There's No Place Like Plurt's Glurb aired on May 22nd, 2001. It was written and directed by David Greenwald. 
All right. So Kelly, on your perfect happiness scale, where does this run between zero at stake this, six to lost your soul? So I also gave this a four. Okay. I love a lot of the same things about this episode that I loved about Through the Looking Glass and appreciate the even darker aspects of the story here. Mm-hmm. Which makes the distractions even worse. Yeah. So Wesley and Angel and Fred and the villagers fighting the priest, all great. The camp and the mm-hmm. lack of awareness and the cheap jokes, not so great. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a four too. I mean, I like this episode a little bit better than Through the Looking Glass. Um, mm-hmm. I think mostly what tips it over the scales for me is that dark Wesley stuff, which I yeah. love. <laughs> And that's pretty much like Dark Wesley and Fred, you know, I Mm -hmm. think are pretty much what I love about this episode. Um, But I like that stuff enough to boost the rest of it up. (laughs) All right. So why don't you start us out with your moments of perfect happiness then? Okay. Well, Dark Wesley. I mean, I'm I'm (laughs) in it. I am here for Dark Wesley. Um, You know, I love this moment where the, uh, the rebel camp makes Wesley their leader. You know, and we just had at the beginning of Belonging, he was trying to get his father's respect by saying they made me their leader, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a real reflection of that. Um, But Wesley, in this role as leader, becomes so cold. You know, Um, I love that he's got capability, you know, and and these people like, first of all, these people who've known each other forever, take this stranger and put him in charge. Like, I'm not buying that. Um, (laughs) But Wesley's coming in, you know, um, Wesley's coming in and he's got all of these ideas and this strategy, you know. Um, And one thing that I found a little weird is that when Gunn challenges Wesley's ideas, he completely ignores him. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Angel shows up and suddenly he wants to go over his plans, you know, with Angel. And I'm like, you know, what is that? I mean, I get that Angel was his boss for a while, but I think mm-hmm. that as far as strategy goes, that's not necessarily Angel's strong point either. I mean, that's always kind of been Wesley's thing, you know, yeah. is figuring out how to how to solve these problems. Um, and Gunn is a smart warrior. Gunn is the one who's been at Wesley's side through this whole thing. They've got a lot of respect for each other. Like, why is he dismissing Gunn, you know? Um, and then Gunn comes to him later, you know, and says, you, you're going to get these guys killed. And Wesley says, you try not to get anybody killed. You wind up getting everybody killed. Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> He's cold. You know, then when he gives that whole inspirational speech to Angel mm-hmm. and he says, we know you're a man with a demon inside, not the other way around. And he gets Angel all ready to go do this thing. When Angel leaves, you know, Gunn questions him on that. And he says, I need him to think it. You yeah. Know? I was like, damn damn oh yeah and gun almost had gun's look on his face was almost pretty much what i was like whoa yeah (laughs) yes so he's Um, he's still not dark wesley to me yet but but we're getting there he's 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 darker wesley yeah darker wesley Uh, and i do like it a lot and i did like the kind of joke though when wes said why do people keep putting me in charge of things and gun said i have no idea there's a reason because dude is cold yeah dude will get things done he is know? cold but yeah. i think maybe the reason he doesn't take advice from gun yeah it's because wesley has the mind for strategy but yeah. gun has the heart for people yeah. Because it, before they put Wesley in charge, like the reason they go to help is because of Gunn. Yeah. You know, Gunn says, I think these guys have a cause worth fighting for. Isn't right. that what we do? Mm-hmm. So he's really the champion of the people. Yeah. 
And Wesley, I think Wesley knows Gunn is going to try to keep everyone alive. Yeah. Wesley is willing to accept certain losses to right. achieve his goal. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, which is, I mean, I just, I really like it, you know, yeah. and Gunn, and I think the reason why he ignores Gunn is because Gunn is, is bringing up that exact thing. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we've got people, we have to keep them alive, you know. Right. I wouldn't do this. And Wesley's like, yeah, you wouldn't because right. you care too deeply about these people and we can't afford that, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. And so it's, it's interesting. I think it's because of that empathy, because of that connection with people that Wesley can't afford to have that he brushes away, you know, guns response. Mm-hmm. I think so know? too. And he tells Angel, he's so convincing, you know, when yeah. Angel's like, if I turn into this beast, I'm not coming back from that. And Wesley's like, Oh no, you will come back to us. Yeah. And he doesn't believe it for a second. Yeah. And so like he's well, also... he doesn't know. He yeah. speaks with such certainty. Right. For Angel. But he doesn't know. And he he's just know. like, well, I need him to believe it. You know? Right. And so Bam. it's kind of like he's willing to accept Angel yeah. as a loss in that moment, too. Yeah. Like, give that man a goal and get the hell out of his way because... Seriously. He, he might sacrifice you if he has to. And yeah, it's definitely the start of <laughs> some serious dark Wesley. I know, I know, and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I also really like the way that we've structured the adventure. We've got a lot of moving parts going mm-hmm. on here, you know. Um, I love Wesley's plan. I love the hard choices that he has to make, you know, um, and the capability with which he makes those choices. I think that's fantastic. Um, and we've got this this adventure where we've got these characters like moving around across the stage. We're reuniting Angel with Wes and Gunn. We're bringing Fred into the mix. Um, they're joining with the rebels who at first are trying to kill them and then is, you know, is their army, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, we've got sending Angel in to challenge grew the undefeated right you know to mortal combat and brutal battle like um it's so great and then he he becomes the monster and he's able to pull himself back from it you know mm-hmm. all of this stuff that's going on i think like my favorite part was silas turning his back on cordy because yeah. he underestimated her power and she just fucking <laughs> whips his head off yes <laughs> love it <laughs> I'm pretty it. sure I, I cheered out loud, yeah. but I love when she was then like, then she's back to Cordy. She says, yeah, these, these guys stay dead without a head. Good. Right. <laughs> I was like, there she is. Now exactly. she's back. That's our girl. And, yeah. And I really like the priests as bad guys. Like they yeah. were serious, scary, evil bad guys. They were. Yeah. But the silliness kept distracting me from that. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that the priests know about vampires and mm-hmm. how to kill them. Yeah. And Silas has such a take on the pulse of like how to run an efficient oppression. Right. Because he mm-hmm. says, if one can be free, hope arises that all can be free. Right. And so he's really waging battle against the idea of hope yep. to keep these people oppressed. And then, yep. you know, Angel and company are coming in to disrupt that. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked that aspect of, of the story. Right. But I wouldn't I mean, have that's seen. so evil. And that's how it yeah. works. You know, yeah. it's like you, you get inside somebody's head and you turn them against themselves. You know, like that's mm-hmm. how the evil people do what they do, you yeah. know, um, and that is I mean, that's classic. That's how it works. So, yeah, I thought that that was really like nicely stated. So mm-hmm. completely evil um, yeah. and not 
dealt with on a like a big enough for for the ideas that the priests bring up yeah. we really you know tonally we go in the opposite direction with all the goofiness you know right. and then we don't really address it and it's just it's a, a like it's really good in a lot of ways yeah i mean they're willing yeah. to kill every single human yeah there with the push of one button like yeah. this is this is high stakes yeah and it's serious evil and i i just wish that we had leaned into that more mm-hmm. yeah yeah, so, no, I definitely understand that. Uh, one of the other things I like, because you know me, I ship everything, right? Mm. Um, Angel and Cordy. Mm-hmm. We're getting, I mean, we had this throughout this run, you know, I, when he's so distraught that Cordy got pulled through the portal and I only just got her back and he can't wait to see her. And, um, you know, and then when, uh, during the battle, when Cordy says, I love him, I love him. And he's like, you love me? You know, yeah, and we're starting this sense of a romance between Angel and Cordy, um, which I have mixed feelings about. And I think we'll talk about that in much more detail as we go. But overall, generally, I always like a romance. So I'm always mm-hmm. going to want to give it a chance. <laughs> I have notes about that in my research section. OK. All right. Well, we'll talk about that <laughs> a little bit. It's a very light hint. It could yeah. go either way. Like mm-hmm. we're not being we're not being real firm with it. But I see the beginnings of of that stuff going on with Angel and Cordy. Yeah. And it's it's in my moments of perfect happiness because I love a love story. <laughs> I always I love, love a love story. that you love love story. Um, and then we end, of course, like, you know, after this whole ridiculous adventure, finally, we're back in the real world. We're bringing Fred into the hotel. We're, you mm-hmm. know, setting everything up. We walk in and there's Willow. And that is such a kick to the gut oh, when God. you see her and she says it's Buffy or he says yeah. it's Buffy, you know? Yep. Oh my God! It yeah, is Willow so doesn't say a word because she yeah. doesn't have to. Yeah, you know, an angel God. knows. And but then I had this thought: mm-hmm. so say you were one of the seven people who was only watching Angel, yes, and not watching Buffy. Like, how freaking confused would you have been? Yeah, in that You'd moment, like, I have no idea what the hell's going on because I, yeah. I think this is the first time we've seen Willow. We've, we've well, mentioned her. We had that one phone call between her and Cordelia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but but not knowing that Buffy has just died yeah like you would be really really confused yeah and and I thought that that was kind of an odd like yeah. not to clarify it just in case someone was not watching both shows but yeah. Allison Hannigan's ability to convey emotions on her face it's, mm-hmm. she's so amazing it was she's so fantastic. good yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, Angel, when he walks through the door, he's like, I want to say it. I want to say it. There's no right. place like, and then everything falls apart yeah. because Angel does not have home. Yeah. You know, even now, yeah. even through all of this, mm-hmm. he doesn't have home, like not in the sense of place and not in the sense of who he loves. And now or the sense of belonging. Yeah. I mean, that's what home is, right? It's the place right. where you belong. Right. Or the people yeah. you belong with. And now mm-hmm. this woman who he loves so much is dead. Yeah. And it's just devastating. Oh, God, it is. It's I so know. devastating. God. So there were a few other kind of lighthearted things. Yeah. I loved when they crashed the car into Caritas. Right. <laughs> and Lauren is like, you know, I've been thinking about remodeling this place. Who's up for a nightcap? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just love it. Yeah. 
And when Cordy was screaming at his mm-hmm. head, which, oh, my God. And he finally opened his eyes. He's like, good Lord, woman, shut up. <laughs> I was like, yes, Lord. <laughs> I was so with him on that. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, there was, there was some fun. I mean, you know, the thing is, like, in the moment, a lot of the stuff is fun. In the moment, some of the mm-hmm. joke construction is fun. But the campy side of things was just a bit too much. So I was really, really glad to end up back in L.A. at the end. Yeah. Um, all right. So that moves us into Stake This. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, Cordy and Gru. Okay. <laughs> she falls in love with this guy in a day. Yeah. There is nothing aside from his looks that really, um, you know, that really speak to like him as Mm -hmm. I mean, he's undefeated, he's good looking, but like, you know, what is the connection there between Cordy and Gru? I don't know. Like, I just, I didn't buy it. I'm not, I'm not into it. I really don't care for it. I think it feeds into that fairy tale aspect, but it didn't work for me. I, I never buy into love at first sight. Like yeah. attraction at first sight. Yes. Oh yeah, sure. Love yeah. at first sight. No, no, when she says she loves him, that's when it falls apart for me. Yeah. That's when I'm like, you don't love him. You don't know him. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. And I did think it was great that Gru saved Lauren's body. Yes. I and did I re- like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really like that Gru is encouraging Cordelia to be a good leader and she's encouraging him to be a good warrior. Yeah. Like I think there's a lot of potential there yeah absolutely but, but to be oh i love him because i've spent 24 hours in his company I, eh, right. it just it keeps diluting what we mean from love right especially because this is just a few episodes after cordy said i love you to angel yeah. in that very honest friend mm-hmm. to friend way mm-hmm. that just completely lit him up yeah and so like we know what those words mean to her mm-hmm so, yeah, I was with you on that. I'm like, mm, no. Yeah. No. I didn't, you can I didn't come really... shuck, baby. Yeah. You you want to come shuck with him? You yeah. have fun, but don't call it love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love is a little too much. Like, And when yeah. she's saying that, she's facing Gru and she's saying, I love him. And it seems like she would be saying that about Angel. And, of course, then they switch it on us and they're like, no, she's saying it about Gru because they want us to have that moment where, like, Cordy's saying it about Angel and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, you're just like you're you're not getting the best out of that exchange. You know, it's it's not working for you. Um, But the other thing that I didn't particularly care for um was silas uh using the myth of the sexually predatory male you know the way people used to create fear of black men in the south and Mm -hmm. many many black men have been killed because of exactly that kind of bullshit oh yeah you know they're gonna come they're gonna rape your women they're you know they're insatiable that you know like this whole thing um that's a really dark you know a dark thing and it references like directly something that they're not really talking about it's it's Mm -hmm. borrowing culture like pre-charged items but yeah. not paying for it by addressing it right. you know what I'm saying and and so sometimes that happens in stories where they take something that's been charged like I talk about this with the religious iconography right throughout mm-hmm. Buffy and and some an angel that we're taking something that has been charged by the culture you know and we're taking the charge and that that like um that the, all the connotations that come with it from that charge but we're not really 
taking the rest of it. We're not taking the whole thing. We're not dealing with the whole thing. And I think that Silas, you know, when he talks to Gru about all of the things the angel's going to do to Cordelia if he wins, Mm -hmm. you know, that Gru has to win. It's so incredibly evil and references something that that has gotten people killed like a lot, you know, Um, and it just it feels it's it's good in the moment i mean it's totally evil for silas but again it's like we're kind of dancing around this idea of this racism thing we Uh address it like a little bit um and then we have this thing at the end right where cordy is saying we've abolished slavery grew you're gonna have to oversee reconstruction and then grew's like what is this reconstruction of which you speak you know and cordy tosses to gun and we make the one black guy in this whole thing where we've had all these analogs about racism, we we make the black guy talk about it. We make the black guy do the educational bit, you know? Right. And I mean, you know, I, I liked what Gunn said. Oh, yeah. But it, I mean, it just felt uncomfortable to me. Yeah, I, I really liked his definition. Yeah. But I really disliked Cording just tossing that ball to him. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're black. You take this one. Like, You're black. Why don't you really? tell them how it goes? Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, like enough, you know, yeah. you're, you're white. You live in this country. You've seen what happened. You read your history. Like mm-hmm. you talk about it rather than making the one black guy, you know, like make have that conversation, you know? Right. So I don't know. Like I, I found it just, I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. No, I was there with you. All right. So what do you got for research mode? Okay, I have many questions. You have tons. Look at this. Oh, God, I really do. And so the first thing was, it seems really strange to me that Angel did not define his terms with Fred. Mm -hmm. He calls himself a beast instead of explaining to her that he is a vampire. Mm -hmm. So like, what? Why? Why did he? Why did he not? Explain this to her. Because I think he's not a vampire, like in the same way in that context, like the vampire in in on Earth, you know, is like a human hybrid kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But he turns into, you know, the full demon and, and, and it's very bestial. It's feral. You know, like he's not thinking he doesn't, it's like Hulk, you know, he doesn't have the ability, the thinking part of him to kind of like, you know, keep a hold of that. Mm -hmm. It's out of control. And I think that, I think that calling it a beast, I think the way that they present what he is when he transitions, you know, in Pylea is, is very bestial. Yeah, it is. But like he tells her he can't stand in the sunlight back in LA. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, why don't you explain to her? I am a vampire. But here on Pilea, this is how it manifests. Like, I don't know. There was just something about it that bugged me. Yeah. And then the whole thing about the big battle and challenging the Grusalug. So Mm -hmm. you don't need a reason. Is it just, hey, bitch, I challenge you. Come fight me. And like, what does Angel get if he wins? And Gru has two weapons and Angel has none. So how mm-hmm. is that an honorable fight? And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what are the rules of engagement in this well, world? Like- I don't think that you need a reason. I mean, mm-hmm. as as the history of toxic masculinity, I think, has shown pretty well that sometimes <laughs> you just challenge each other just for the dick measuring of it. You know, like, I think that that honestly is all they But need. I mean, like, wouldn't the Grusalek schedule get really overloaded 
if just anybody could get drunk and be like, hey, dude, come fight me for no reason. I, I mean, guess. But I mean, what do you I, get? I, think that, I think that is what happens to him. He's been oh, in a million fights. God. You know, although then, I must say he's pretty unscarred and unbroken for somebody who's been in that many fights. Oh, yeah. He needs some scars. Yeah. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> oh, let's pause for Kelly's thirst and then we'll move and on. And a couple of tattoos. <laughs> but like, what does Angel get if he wins? Like, does mm-hmm. he become the new Grusalug? Is there a right. prize? Right. Like, I, <laughs> I just don't don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And then there was this one line from Angel when he was fighting Gru and and Fred is trying to tell him, you know, go ahead and and change. And he says, I'm not holding back. I'm holding on. Mm -hmm. And he takes one hell of a beating before he finally gives in and turns. Yeah. So and then he's about to bite him. Like, and I think it's not going to be a vampire bite. I think he's going to rip his neck out. Uh But then he pulls himself back. And so, like, what did he mean by holding on? Was he holding on to himself or was he holding on to not hurting Gru? And how did he pull himself back? Like, I loved how that played out. I was just Mm -hmm. really curious. What is the difference for Angel between holding back and holding on? Right. I think that he was holding on to his humanity, you Mm -hmm. know, and trying to, like, feel his way to allowing the bestial, you know, vampire in him out. Mm-hmm. Um, while still maintaining who he was inside, you know, mm-hmm. um, how all of that, I don't think that we do get any kind of clarity on what exactly all of that is or like, you know, so I mean, I think your questions are, I, that's just how I read it, but I think your yeah. questions are completely legit. Like, I don't know, you know? Yeah. 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 So I don't know. So then like all the stuff you were saying about love earlier, I put in this section. Uh huh. So when Angel says to Cordy, you love me, mm-hmm. Cordy blows that off so mean and yeah. so quickly. And I don't think she would minimize her feelings for Angel like that, because mm-hmm. even if it's not romantic love, she does love him deeply. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it looked more like maybe he's realizing that he has romantic feelings for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we've also got some of this stirring with Fred toward Angel. Yeah. She's like, you're not a beast. You're a good man. And I kind of want to sit her down and be like, guard your heart, honey, because it is possible for someone to be both. And you can't love one without loving the other. Mm-hmm. So we get Cordy and Gru falling for each other in this kind of fairy tale love at first sight way. Mm-hmm. And Fred kind of seems to have these uh, romantic ideas of Angel because he's her knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the potential for romantic tension is growing Yeah, <laughs> in a yes. way that we really haven't had in the first two seasons. Yeah, we haven't had romantic stories, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a little bit with um, with Doyle, you know, yeah. and Cordy in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, you know, the side story with uh, Wesley and Virginia Bryce. But that wasn't yeah. anything, really. And I mean, we had yeah. Darla. But this yeah, is, I don't this know feels... that Darla's a love story. Yeah, but this is like getting matrixed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So then from love to sex. So Cordy learns the purpose of the Kumshuk is to transfer her visions to the Grusalug. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm not ready to give them up. They're part of who I am now. They're an honor. Mm-hmm. So, but I had two questions about that. So how are the evil priests going to benefit from those visions if the visions only show people in need of saving? Why would they want them? Right. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're looking to spy on the powers that be. But the powers that be, 
know who's getting the visions. They send them. So if the priests have the visions, then the powers that be are just going to pull that line out of the wall and go somewhere else. Right? So what's the point? Exactly. Yeah. I was just very confused. And then when Doyle passed the visions to Cordy, it was through a kiss. Yes. Why does it require sex with Drew? Because Gru is good looking and we want to make the joke about the comp shock. Oh, is that why? Okay. Because yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I think I think if you're looking for Pylea to make any kind of sense, you know, um, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on, people. I am all for come shucking, but I want some logic behind it. Right. So... <laughs> Then my last question was, Lauren had this, I think, a really great point. Mm -hmm. He said, I had to come back here to find out that I didn't have to come back here. I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. And Angel had to face that demon and his darkness, like the reasons he fired the team. Right. Mm -hmm. They see it, you know, in the bright light of day. And so does he learn that he does not belong to that demon? Is there a parallel between those two ideas there or am I just trying to make one? I think it would have been nice if they had done that. I don't mm-hmm. know that they did or if they did, they did. They only did it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But I love that idea. I think that's a brilliant way of looking at it. But I'm not sure textually that they really went there with that. You know, they had Lauren said all this great stuff and we opened up this whole run with belonging. Right. Mm-hmm. So it seems like this is a really appropriate place to kind of nail that theme down. What mm-hmm. are we saying about where you belong and where you don't? You know, who you belong to and who you don't, you know. Um, And so we have this little reference with Lorne, but it doesn't seem to be applicable throughout. It's not applicable to Angel. It's not applicable to Wesley or Gunn or anything, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, that's all I got. So you want to brood us out of season two, baby? I will go ahead and brood us out of season two. Uh, While the entire Pylea arc has its problems of inconsistent tone and the borrowing of cultural problems it's not willing to pay for by actually addressing those issues, it's the end of the season and it gives us Fred, so it's important for the overall run of Angel. But it's an odd veering off the main road for Angel, so if you didn't care for it, don't worry about it. You're definitely not alone, and I don't think we get this weird again. Well, we get... Well, we get weird a couple of times. Yeah, we're going to get weird, but we're going to stay in our own dimension. For the most part. Yes, definitely. (laughs) All right. So that brings us to hashtag still thirsty. Kelly, what is making you thirsty this week? A pretty, pretty sweethearted grew in the odd curve of his pretty smile. But that one moment when the guards were in there and Lauren said to Cordy, want me to call him back? You can borrow the cuffs. (laughs) 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 Just freaking delighted me. And... Angel riding a horse. Yes. Because I got to say, damn. And then every time Fred speaks theory. Right. (laughs) But I am thrilled to announce to our Still Dead listeners that Lonnie Diane Rich has a note in the Still Thirsty section this week. I do. I do. See, I've been completely traumatized and totally dead inside. So I leave the Still Thirsty to Kelly. Um, But Dark Wesley... Dark Wesley does it for me, man. I, I loved seeing seeing Wesley with the scruff on his face and just being determined and cold, and mm-hmm. it was awesome, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I love you being still thirsty. Aw, thanks, baby. <laughs> All right, so, Dr. Jones, what is your favorite part? So, my favorite part was Angel waking up 
after the trauma of seeing his demon, you know, mm-hmm. in the sunlight on the floor of Fred's cave and Fred saying to him, we all got our demons. And yeah. that was the moment I fell in love with mm-hmm. Fred. But Those also demons. the trionic books, because yeah. that was made specifically to delight me. That is a very cool idea. And I loved, of course, you know, Wesley being so excited about it. Oh, yeah. So what was your favorite part? I, I'm sorry. Like, I know I'm just bringing the same gong over and over again. But Dark <laughs> Wesley, like that is absolutely the whole Pylea arc. Like, there's some stuff that I like. There's a lot of stuff that I don't. But this Wesley, I mm-hmm. am here for it. I love it. I <laughs> don't love be it. sorry. Love what you love, baby. That's right. Love what you love. <laughs> So, we would like to hear about your favorite part and your thoughts on season two. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag StillDead. For more in-depth discussion, visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum, and join in the fun. Or you can support Chipperish Media to the tune of $1 a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Kelly and all the Chipperish patrons who love to do the dance of joy. Visit patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Dead by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-soul review. That's one of the most effective ways to show support for your favorite podcast. Or you can use your social media platform of choice to tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And to say thanks to our rogue demon hunters who take the time to write reviews, we return to the Prophecy Scrolls. I'm writing these in reverse chronological order, so post your review and you'll hear your prophecy soon. For Kimothy Schma, it's the end of Season 2 and Karatos needs a makeover before the beginning of Season 3. The Sanctuary spell needs to be strengthened, honey, and the powers that be have called on you to help Lorne get the job done. Your task is to discover the spells and potions needed to keep safety and peace in and portals and crashing cars out. (laughs) But everyone is reeling from the shock of Buffy's death and their trauma in Pylea, so it is up to you to step in and help behind the scenes. To accomplish this feat, you may choose any three guest characters from any episodes in seasons one and two to assist you. (laughs) Com shucking is optional. Oz... (laughs) Oz and his van may be available. I hear he's got a new gig in L.A. (laughs) Don't mix your metaphors, read out loud from any books, or chop off anyone's hand, and everything will be fine. (laughs) I love those. All (laughs) right, we are off next week for Chipperish Civic Responsibility Pride Week, so get out there and vote. But we'll be back in two weeks with first two episodes of Season 3, Heartthrob and That Vision Thing, both of which are Watchers. Until then, we know you're a man with a demon inside, not the other way around. So vote. Go vote. Go vote. <laughs> I love it.